Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Good morning, Celebrate, and happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Thank you for all you do. You are loved and appreciated. You can have a seat. Yikes. Before I trip. In November, or excuse me, in January of 2019, I had the uh, privilege to visit the country of Liberia, along with a delegation from the church, and see the impact that we're having there. And it is amazing. But I will tell you that the conditions in the country are horrific. In many parts of the country, people are forced to drink water from nearby streams and creeks and rivers that are contaminated by bacteria. Three out of every 10 children never live past the age of five because of this contaminated water. And it's, it just breaks your heart, breaks your heart. Those that do survive are riddled with all kinds of illnesses, diarrhea, and malnutrition their entire lives. But the good news is in 2019, we began to do something about it. We donated $100,000 to dig 10 deep water wells. Yes, thank you. These wells were dug in remote villages in Nimba County in Northern Liberia, serving over 12,000 people. These people have names, families, they have hopes and dreams. One of, these, one of these people, he's a new friend of mine, his name's Lucky Boy Maui, a little eight-year-old boy that, that I met over there that wouldn't leave my side. In April of 2020, we, d- we donated $40,000 along with our, ch- our church plants to refurbish eight additional wells in and around the capital city of Monrovia, serving an additional 15,000 people. World Hope followed up the digging of the wells by showing the Jesus film, and hundreds upon hundreds of villagers made decisions to follow Jesus as a result. We have seen the tears of joys in a mother's eyes that proclaims that her children are healthy and happy for the first time in their life. We have heard the sounds of villagers singing and dancing in celebration of the gift of clean water to their communities. We have held the hands of the children that might not be alive today had we not dug those wells. We've heard their laughter as they play with their friends. We've seen the the, 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 the joy and hope in their eyes. And we've, we've sensed a hunger for God and his truth from, from the villagers that have received the living water. In November of 2020, we contributed $50,000 to provide clean water and sanitation services to, to Peace Island near Monrovia. Prior to this project, the more than 30,000 people that live on this island we're uh, living in, in a place of solid waste and contaminated water providing for a very unhealthy environment. Needless to say, this project changed our lives. Last fall, 88 of you 
sponsored children, allowing them to attend one of the Wesleyan private church or schools over there, allowing them to fulfill their dreams to be, become doctors, nurses, engineers, school teachers, and the like. And now I'm excited to tell you about another investment that we're making in Liberia. Celebrate last week, we donated an additional $125,000. And this $125,000 was to provide improvements to, to schools, three, three Wesleyan schools in Liberia. All 88 children that you are sponsoring attend one of these three schools. These improvements include new desks, benches, and chairs so the kids don't need to sit on the dirt floors or broken concrete block. The project also includes some much needed repairs to their buildings, solar panels so they can have electricity in their classrooms, and digital smart boxes that will provide computers and internet access where they've never had before. These improvements and enhancements to the learning experience will help these students thrive and they will be able to change generations uh, in the future. The, uh, Dr. Joanne Lyon, our general superintendent, or former general superintendent of, our, of the Wesleyan Church will be here on Memorial Day weekend to share more about what's happening in Liberia. And in 20, 22, we're planning another trip to Liberia. If any of you are interested in that, please contact the church office for more details. Folks, we are seeing a new dawn in tens of hope and in, in tens of thousands of people in Liberia. This is who we are. This is a direct result of your faithful giving to the vision of this church. Even during the pandemic, you remained faithful to giving to the Kingdom Fund that allow us to have this kind of impact. I just want to encourage you to continue to be faithful so we can continue to have this kind of impact. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the mothers today. God, I pray that they would feel loved and blessed today. God, we thank you for the faithful giving of the people of this church that allows us to have this kind of impact in Liberia on the other side of the world. God, I pray for the, for the construction workers, the ones that have already completed work. God bless them and, and those that will be working in the months ahead to, to complete these repairs and improvements. God, just give them safety and success. And God, I pray for the villagers. Pray for the people of Liberia. But God, that this would not only impact their physical world, but God, it would give them a thirst for the living water that only comes from your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Celebrate. Man, to all of you maybe here that might be a guest or any of you online, I just want to introduce myself. My name's Tim, and I am just so incredibly honored and grateful that I get the opportunity to open up God's Word with you today. I'm so thankful to Pastor Keith that he's given me that opportunity and just thankful for everything he's done in my life to bring me up to this moment. And it's just such a wonderful day to be here with you. 
Man, I love getting to do this with you. I'm so grateful for what God has done in my life to get me here today. And so before we go anywhere, can we just talk to him for a moment? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, it's on days like Mother's Day that we're reminded of a fact that a lot of us, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our moms physically, but also spiritually in so many other ways. God, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your love for us, if it wasn't for your son coming now to die for us. So God, today, as we hear your word, as we worship, would you just speak to us? Would you just help us to walk in your love more and more and more? Would you just continue to draw us closer and closer to you and remind us of what it looks like to look like your son? God, thank you for who you are and what you're doing. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for what you're going to do today, God. Pray that this isn't my word speaking, God, but that you would speak today, that your spirit would be speaking through your word. God, you are awesome and amazing. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Well, I am just so excited to be here with you today. Happy Mother's Day, man, to all the mothers here. Whatever kind of mom you are, whether you're uh, a mom, stepmom, bonus mom, foster mom, any other kind of mom, we just want to tell you thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for all the sacrifices you make. We are so appreciative of you. Hope you have an absolutely amazing day today. And I just want to shout out a couple moms in my life that are absolutely amazing. Man, I'm so grateful I get to celebrate today with my amazing wife, Bridget. If you know her, you know she's pretty awesome. And she actually, she's actually serving in kids right now, but man, I am just so grateful for her. She's such an amazing mom to our son, Timothy, who just turned two this week. And then we also uh, have another child coming in in the fall. So, I mean, she is just awesome. I'm, I'm so grateful for her. So just thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just want to take this opportunity, too, to just shout out my mom, uh, who is just the absolute best. I mean, Look at how I turned out, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but seriously, mom, my, my mom is absolutely amazing. She's actually sitting right there. And I just want to say, mom, thank you for everything you've done in my life. I appreciate you so much. Man, I, I, I'm the man I am today because of you. And so I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being such an amazing, incredible, and wonderful person. Also, I forgot to get you a Mother's Day card. So I was kind of hoping this might count. Is that, does that work? Okay, cool. Well, hey, moms, we love you so much, and make sure if you're here on site that you you stop by our photo booth or some of the other things that we have going on. We'd love to bless you with today, but hope today is just absolutely amazing for you. You know, from walking on this journey with my wife, this journey of parenting and seeing her go through the journey of motherhood, man, can, can any moms agree, being a mom can be crazy sometimes. Anybody agree with that? Yeah? Yeah, it gets a little crazy. And one of the things we love to do is enjoy other people's crazy moments, you know? Kind of laugh at them. Anybody ever do that? You know, one of the things we do is we, my wife and I will go and read uh, tweets from moms on Twitter. Anybody ever do that? Just the funny moments people admit to. Maybe for the older generation, you're like, what, what's a Twitter? Well, that's basically the things that you would just, the stories you would tell privately, we just put them out there publicly on Twitter. That's what we do. It's great. And so we have a couple of our favorite mom tweets that we think are absolutely hilarious. These are some funny moments in the lives of moms. Maybe you enjoy them as much as my wife and I do. This one is from Mommy Shorts. She says, I asked to switch seats on the plane because I was sitting next to a crying baby. Apparently that's not allowed if the baby's yours. (laughs) 
Michelle writes, it's so exciting. My son turned 14, and now he knows everything. Everything. And I don't have to tell him anything anymore because he already knows. In fact, he knows more than I do and more than his dad does. We couldn't be more thrilled. What a joyous time. (laughs) I like this piece of dialogue. Son asks, are you eating pie for breakfast? Me eating pie. No, it's fruit casserole. You want some? Son, no, I hate casserole. Me whispers, I know. (laughs) My son asked my seven-year-old how she would survive a bear attack, and she replied that she'd try to be his friend, thus making her the most adorable of my children, but also the least likely to survive an encounter with an actual bear. (laughs) My five-year-old asked me what a poop hole does. After an impromptu lesson on the digestive system, I realized he actually said pupil. (laughs) Next lesson, enunciation. (laughs) Well, you know, being a mom and a parent in general can be so crazy. And, you know, moments like that, it's so easy to get caught up in. I know for for my wife and I, it can feel like that. I still sometimes feel like she literally just told me that we were going to have a kid. And I was like, I got nine months to figure out how to be a parent. And now... My son's two. It's crazy. And, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in whatever crazy thing they're doing today, whether they're six years old or they're 60 years old. But, you know, my wife and I have found by, by talking with parents who are much wiser than us that parenting comes down to something that, that may sound a little weird when I first say it, but it comes down to visionary leadership. Because Now, we hear that word visionary leadership and we think, man, of Elon Musk or we think of maybe a politician or some great CEO. But the reality is this, politics, being a, uh, leading a business, whatever that may be, those pale in comparison to raising a child. Man, because I think what I do with my son, what you do with your kids is so much more important than any business or anything else out there. And so it comes down to visionary leadership but often it doesn't feel like that. Oftentimes parenting feels like reactionship. You know, we're just reacting in the moment. We're trying to keep them fed, keep them healthy, keep them moving to the next thing, the next practice, the next whatever, then all of a sudden they're adults, and so we're trying to get them on to the next whatever that may be, the next relationship, the next phase of their life. However, the best parents I've ever seen have led with a vision for their kids' lives. They've led with a vision for their kids' lives, doing things intentionally today so that they turn out a certain way, they're in a certain position down the road. And you can see this happen over and over again in parents. Tiger Woods' parents, for instance, they had him golfing before he was two years old, and he turned out to be a halfway decent golfer. (laughs) Susanna Wesley had a lot of kids in her lifetime. Each and every one of them that she was able to raise, she spent time teaching them God's word, how to memorize God's word, and spent time intentionally, individually with each of them each and every week to make sure how they were doing spiritually and how God was working in their life, really just discipling them. And her sons, John and Charles, went on to lead a movement, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, to lead a movement that went all across the world that God used to preach the gospel all over. And it's a large part of the reason why we're here today. And so that is just so incredible to see. And so motherhood and parenting in general is not so much about who our kids are right now. It's about who they're going to be. 
right? The hope is that we're not just raising healthy kids today, but that we're raising healthy adults who love Jesus and have their priorities straight. And that involves some visionary leadership. There's a definition of leadership by a Harvard business professor. She writes it this way. Leadership is about empowering other people as a result of your presence and making sure that impact continues into your absence. See, so often we create systems of leadership that involve us being there. You know, those ones where if we leave, everything stops. You know, if we die, productivity dies. They, they all rely on us. And we do this all the time in our families. We do it in our workplaces. We do it all over the place. And so often we're proud of it. We kind of like that. We kind of want to be the man, the woman, the one that is needed. You know, the, the, the linchpin, if you will. I don't think that's a great way to lead, but also I think it's the opposite of the goal of parenting. See, for my wife and I, the goal isn't that our son will say please and thank you because we're there reminding him. We want him to be a gracious person who says those things. For, for me, my mom didn't check in on me today to make sure that I showered or brushed my teeth or played nice with my friends, but I did those things for the most part. <laughs> on a deeper level... My mom hasn't checked in with me in a while to make sure that I'm reading my Bible every day or that I'm spending time with God or that I'm praying or that I'm following him. But I did those things. Why? Because my mom's leadership had an impact in my life that continues even in her absence when she's not around. That's called legacy. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see that, man, Jesus did some really cool things. That's kind of an understatement, right? But we look at the Bible and we see these amazing high-level moments, these moments where Jesus heals the sick, where he heals the blind, where he raises the dead to life, where he walks on water. He does these incredible and amazing things. And then Jesus just kind of does something that seems weird if you're first reading the Gospels from a human mind. He just leaves. He just takes off and goes back to heaven and trusts his ministry to these disciples that he's been raising up. He equips them with the Holy Spirit and even says, listen, it's better that I go away so that you can have the Holy Spirit and you can have that power coming out of you. And he just goes back to heaven. It's something that when you can miss the moments that were going on here. There was these little moments that weren't necessarily considered the big moments. It was these little moments of Jesus spending time with these men to disciple them and grow them up and raise them up. And he raised up men that were able to go out through the Holy Spirit and lead and fulfill the great commission that he had given them, which, by the way, is also our commission. So these disciples went out. And they fulfilled the Great Commission, making disciples who made disciples who made disciples who made disciples, which is the reason that we're here today. And by the way, let me just say, it's the reason why discipleship is so key in the church. Man, creating disciples, having intentional relationships with people to help them be a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ is the key to the church. It's also the key to our families. It's the key to the next generation. It's the key to so many things in our life. I don't know about you, but so often there's people that talk about the younger generation. You know, me. Well, there's one after me. But, you know, this younger generation that there seems to be so many issues with, there seems to be so many things that people talk about. But you know what we do to fix that? Yeah, we disciple them. 
We help them to become fully committed disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what changes the world. Amen? I like what Grant Skeldon writes. If you're not discipling anyone, will you please refrain from criticizing the next generation? See, we have enough butts and seats. We need more disciples of Jesus. That's how we change the next generation. And one of the best places to start making disciples is right in our own families, right with our own children. Today, I want to talk about what it means to parent to leave a legacy. If you would, go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me. Second Timothy chapter 1, we've got this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul has been discipling Timothy for a really, really long time. He's been walking with him and raising him up in ministry. And Timothy is now on mission on the other side of the world or in another part of the world while Paul is actually in prison and is going to be actually executed at some point. And so Paul is writing this letter understanding that these might be his last words. And so he's writing with an urgency, he's writing to encourage, he's writing to really build Timothy up. And so we start in the first verse here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, pay attention to this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Did you catch that? A sincere faith that first lived where? In Lois, the grandmother, who raised up a child named Eunice, who also had that same faith. Does that happen by accident? I don't think so. Who raised up a child named Timothy. We don't know a lot about what's going on here, but one of the things we obviously can see here is that the only two people that are mentioned are mom and grandma, right? This is mom power here. We also don't know so much about the, the dad or the granddad, but there's a good, uh, good chance that Timothy's dad wasn't a believer because of the way some of those things are talked about. So we have no idea what's going on here. We don't even know as much about these two women, but we do know this, that this might have been the only thing of note in their entire lives. right? They, they may have been just normal folks that you wouldn't have thought much of, but they did two things. They raised a child... And they raised them to know Jesus. They raised them to know God and have a faith in him. And that was passed on and passed on. And see what happens here. They had an impact on the entire world. They had an impact on the entire church history. What you and I know as the church today was shaped because they raised a child who knew God, who raised a child who knew God. Isn't that incredible? Man, they, they continued on this legacy, and it was absolutely amazing to see. What if we did that? What if only thing of note in our lives was that we raised children who had a faith in God, who raised children who had a faith in God? Can you see how many of that impact, impact the world around us? Anybody, anybody see that? 
So with our kids or anyone else for that matter, how do we lead in a way that has an impact even in our absence? Today I want to talk about what it means to parent to leave a legacy. I want to talk about three keys to doing that. If you will join me, our first uh, key is going to be this. We're going to have to teach him what's important. Man, we've got to teach him what's important. The reality is this. There's a lot of things in our world that claim to be important that really aren't. Can anybody agree with that with me? Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff, whether it's on television or sports, whatever it may be, that seems so important in the moment. Man, we're screaming, we're hollering, we're cheering, but then you look back and you're like, wow, that's not even that important in the grand scheme of things. As a parent, have you ever noticed there's a lot of those things that you blow up the most at that in the grand scheme of things really don't matter? Like being late, making a mess. Whereas compared to the, the character that your child's going to possess or who they're going to be when they grow older, a lot of these things don't matter. But so often they, they're what actually sets us off. See, for us, we have to figure out in our lives what's really important. And then we have to teach that to our kids. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children on the right path. And when they're older, they will not leave it. God's speaking through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. See, Moses tells the Israelites here that they are to teach their children when they're sitting at home, when they're walking along the road, when they lie down, when they get up. You know what that implies to me? All the time. Right? All the time is an opportunity to talk about what's really important. The greatest classroom in the world is when we're lounging at home, when we're driving in the car, when we're at the breakfast table, when we're going to bed at night. These are the moments we get to teach what's really important. You know, some of the greatest lessons my parents ever taught me were not preceded with the phrase, hey, listen up, this will change your life. It was often preceded by the phrase, hey, will you hand me that tool? Hey, what would you get for this problem? Because so much of the things that shaped my life into who I am today were conversations sitting around a table doing homework or working in the yard digging a hole or sitting around doing the normal things of life and all of a sudden the conversation starts to switch to what does it mean to really live life and have success in life? What does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to really follow Jesus? And all of a sudden these little conversations just shaped and molded me throughout the years. It wasn't one big lecture. So for me, what I'm convicted of, and I hope you'll look at your life too, is how are we using the time we get with our kids? How are we using this time that we've been given, and are we using it to point them to what's truly the most important things in life? Secondly, as we teach our kids, something that's very important to me is this, that we have to teach them the reason why. I mean, so often we tell our kids, you know, don't sin because it's bad. Don't do this because you, you, you just shouldn't do that. We just, we just don't do that. When I was growing up, there, there was a lot of uh, pastors and people in the church that would use some different phrasing when it came to alcohol. They, they, they would say things like, you know, alcohol isn't even that much fun. 
You know, you're just going to get sick and hung over immediately. Or, you know, there was like the really big scare. There was always seemed to be one of those in a youth group where they'd be like, you know, you're going to have one drink, and before you know it, you're going to be addicted and pregnant and dead. You're like, whoa, that escalated quickly. I remember the first moment that I got drunk when I woke up the next morning. The first thought I had in my mind was, they lied to me. Man, I didn't surely die. This fruit tastes great. Does that sound familiar? See, at that moment, alcohol seemed to fill a void in my life where there had been issues with self-esteem, where there had been anxiety, where there had been this need to please people. Suddenly, I was supposedly free of those things, at least for an evening. What I didn't get was that, number one, it was only going to be fun for a little bit. It wasn't going to be fun in the long run. But then second, I also didn't get this. See, I was trying to fill a hole temporarily that God was trying to fill eternally with his presence in my life. See, God wanted to take the anxiety in my life and, and, and fulfill that with perfect peace. He wanted to take my need to please people and exchange it for a need to please only him. He wanted to take the, these, uh, these addictions to what other people thought of me and, and, and the self-esteem and, and change it with an understanding of who I am in him and having my identity solely in him. Jesus wasn't trying to take just part of my life. He wanted all of my life, and he wasn't keeping me from anything. He had everything for me, but I didn't get it. Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says that one of the things that you need to do to be an effective person is that you have to say no to certain things. There are certain things you just have to say no to. But he says to do that, to have that courage to say no, you have to have a stronger yes burning inside of you. See, for me, when I say yes to Jesus... That gives me the power to say no to the things that are the opposite of what he wants for me. Look at what Paul writes in Colossians. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, so often I think with kids and with people we're walking with, we want to skip to that last list. You know, you need to stop having your sexual immorality. You need to stop being impure. You need to stop lusting. You need to stop having greed. But I think we can skip the beginning verse. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. See, being raised with Christ is what gives me the power over sin. Being raised with Christ is what changes my desires to no longer look at the earthly things, but to look at the eternal things. Being raised with Christ is what actually changes my life, not me just trying harder. So often we can look at our, our, our kids and other people around us, and we just want to fix them. You know, we think, maybe if I just smack them hard enough, you know, they'll finally get it. Anybody ever been there? Man, if I, if I, if I can just 
get them to understand, but this is the reality that I've learned in my life is that we can't fix someone's heart. But I know a guy. The greatest thing you can ever teach your kids is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ will work in their hearts to change their desires, change their thoughts, change the patterns of their life to look more like him. Lindsay Bell writes that the goal of parenting isn't to create perfect kids, it's to point our kids to the perfect God. Most important thing you can ever do is introduce your kids to Jesus Christ. So the first thing we have to do is we have to teach our kids what's important. The second thing is this, we have to model it. We have to model what's important. After Jesus washes his disciples' feet, it says in John that he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Paul later writes in Corinthians, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Philippians, he writes, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Actually, Paul writes six different times to more or less imitate him as he imitates Christ. So here's a question. Am I worth imitating? Are you worth imitating? If you follow me around and copy me, are you going to look more like Jesus for it? Because the reality is this, that our kids are doing that, no matter what age they are. They're looking at us, and they're copying our lives. We're modeling what's really important. I know for me, I'm trying, and, and this is my goal, but obviously God continues to convict me on things. I, God's convicted me recently on something that I can best describe as adult temper tantrums. You know, that, that those moments where, like, the tool doesn't work quite right, and so the best way to fix it in my brain at the time is if I just throw it. Anybody ever been there? Or, like, you have that moment where, like, uh, you get in a fight with an inanimate object. I've had a couple of those where, you know, you just you stub your toe in a chair, and your first thought is violence against the chair. <laughs> like, it's an inanimate object. I kicked it, but somehow my first thought is, oh, yeah, that'll teach him. Don't mess with me, dude. I've been convicted on that. That's not right. I've also been convicted of the fact that my son, who's two, is in that phase where we're trying to teach him not to have temper tantrums. And we're telling things exactly like that. Like, hey, we don't throw things. We don't kick people. When we're mad, we don't hit. And I felt like God really put in my heart, what are you showing your son? What are you modeling for him? What is he seeing in your life? And so that's something I'm trying to work on. And obviously then, as God works in me, he comes out of me. Matthew 5, 14, 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Light is attractive. And when Christ's light is coming out of us, it's attractive to people around us. It's attractive to our families. It's contagious. One of my favorite moments that I've ever caught on video 
is the moment I introduced my son to fire. He was, he was one, I'm a dad, you know. He was one years old-ish, and he had kind of got to this point where he could kind of stand up on things by holding himself up, and so he's holding himself up on something right over here, and I, I take a, like a barbecue lighter, and I light it up here, and I kind of move it back and forth, and his face was priceless. He just goes, <gasps> and he follows it back and forth, and then I turn it off, and he's like, oh, he starts to cry, and then I turn it back on. <gasps> he was mesmerized by it. Do you know when God puts a fire in you and starts shining a light to your family and to the world around you that it's mesmerizing? That people want to be around it. People want to be like it. People want to be near it. People want to know what the source of it is. And so for us, as God works in us, we are pouring light out of us. But the, the issue is whether or not there's light coming out or it's darkness, we're being watched. Everything in our life is being watched by our kids, no matter what age they are. All of us are writing a story that our kids are reading. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, every decision you make, every decision, becomes a permanent part of your story, the story of your life. Every decision you make has an outcome, a consequence, a result. It may be good or bad, desirable or undesirable, expected, unexpected. Whatever the case, that outcome becomes a permanent part of the story of your life. What's the story we're writing? What story do we want our children to read? You know, growing up, I was involved in 10 different sports before I was even in high school. My mom spent hours driving me around to them. Anybody want to take a quick guess on how many of those I played professionally? No one? How about uh, in college? Most people that know me, that's also a big zero as well. You know how many more hours she spent teaching me God's word? Taking me to church, teaching me about prayer, teaching me about how it is to have a relationship with Jesus. She spent tons of time driving me around to those places, and that has benefited me so much more in my life today. See, where we direct our kids says a ton about what we think is actually important. According to Barna, among millennials who say attending services, church services is not important to them, 35% claim that church is just not personally relevant. The study says they see no connection between Sunday morning and Monday through Friday. Question, where do our kids see that connection? At home. From us. See, the reality is this. We have to practice what we preach. Right? If our, if our kids see us go to church, does church end on Sunday? Or do they see church go throughout the week? They see us pray, does that just happen on the weekend or does that happen all throughout our life? When we talk about Jesus, is that in every area of our life? Are we living in Christ's love everywhere? Are we truly treating people the way Jesus has called us to? Or is church just a club we attend? You know, for me, my dad took me to Rotary Club and he took me to church. I go to one of those today, the other one I don't. I go to the one that I actually saw change his life. I actually saw God moving through and working in him, church. I love what Charles Spurgeon writes. He says, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. 
If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. You know, so often, I think then when we talk about messages like this, we can hear that and we can go, okay, well, I can't mess up then. You know, if I mess it up, then my kids aren't going to love Jesus or my kids are going to walk away from the church. And I just want to give you a word of encouragement just from having two amazing godly parents. It is something that I witnessed. If you're a young parent, can I just tell you something? The coolest thing that I ever saw, the thing that really changed my life the most was having godly parents who I got to see completely and totally below it. Because the reality is this, there's something different about a Christian when they mess up. There's a difference in the way they repent, in the way they ask for forgiveness, in the way they turn around and make things right. And when you get to see that close up, you get to understand, okay, then it's not about me being perfect. It's about running to God when I'm not perfect. Understanding that he wants to make me perfect and running after him instead of glossing over a mistake. At my dad's funeral, the coolest thing that I got to say, and this was, meant so much to me, I got to say the words, my dad wasn't perfect but he followed the one who is perfect. And so I just want to encourage you on that, that, man, one of the greatest things your kids can see is when you absolutely blow it and you turn to God and you repent and you ask for forgiveness and you do things right, that'll change your kid's life. Because you're not going to die for them on a cross. You don't need to be their Jesus. You just need to point them to the one who is Jesus. So the first thing we need to do is we need to teach what's important. The second thing we're going to do is we need to model what's important. But third, we need to pray for them, which, by the way, is the most important. 2 Timothy 1.3 says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Romans 1.9 says, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. You know something I've found? God cares a lot more about my son than I ever will. Yet how often am I going to him? How often am I getting on the phone and complaining to someone or talking to someone else before I'm going to the throne and bringing it to God? Am I bringing these things day and night to God? And so often, one of the things that I'm finding is that there's a lot of anxiety that's possible in parenting. Anybody ever else been there? I didn't realize how much the, the life and well-being of one person could completely and totally take every single ounce of your brain until I was a parent. I mean... I thought I understood that when I got married, but oh my gosh, the level of things, the, the, the things that would turn into dreams. I've never had nightmares. I've had nightmares about my son just stopping breathing and things like that that'll just pop in. And so often then, there's these anxieties and these fears that we just hold on to and we just can't let go. And I think the reality is this, because we're not doing what we're supposed to. We're holding on to things that we're not supposed to have. We're trying to hold on to worries and anxieties and control things that were never ours to control. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. How much would our life change if we'd actually pray about everything? Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then 
you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There's two things there that are amazing. First of all, praying about everything, bringing these these petitions before God and praying for our children is so, so important, but also thanking God for what he's doing because I think so often we get so focused on what we need, what we want, and we don't actually come to God until everything's going to pot. Right? We don't actually pick up the phone and, 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 if you will, and talk to God until everything's falling apart around us. Are we thanking God now that they're healthy? Are we thanking God now that they're on the right path? Or just going to them when things aren't going so well? Sometimes I think about the fact that my parents actually prayed for my future when I was still a baby. They prayed for my future. They prayed for my future wife. Even when I was still a child, they prayed in advance. Sometimes, though, I think the reason that maybe we don't pray until things get rough is because we have a deeper issue. B.J. Thompson writes it this way. He says, the most obvious sign of pride isn't boasting. It's a lack of prayer. Because the moment that we stop praying, we tell God, I got this. I can do it. We can say that, man, God is the Lord of our household and that we're serving him. But in anything that we're not lifting up to him in prayer, we're just saying, yeah, I got this. I got this under control. I don't. I just want to tell you right now. And so I need to keep going to him, keep lifting him up in prayer. You know, I I mentioned a while ago that there was a time in my life when I struggled with alcohol and and just making all-around stupid decisions in life. My parents took two different approaches to try to help me. My dad tried to take kind of the approach where he grabbed the steering wheel of my life and kind of, you know, Jerk me back on. And I just, it just didn't work in that moment. That can really work sometimes. But unfortunately, I was 18, which meant that I knew everything. <laughs> By the way, I just hope that someday I'm as smart as I thought I was when I was 18. I, I just, I really hope that's a big goal of mine. But so, so my dad tries to do that, tries to just get me to stop being stupid. My mom took a little bit different approach. She prayed for me. And she prayed for me. And she prayed for me, 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 and she prayed for me. And then I came home and and had a relationship that really wasn't honoring God, so she kept praying for me. Then all of a sudden, I came back home and said, Mom, I just don't even know if I really believe in God. I don't even know if he exists. She just kept praying for me. Then all of a sudden, everything in my life went dark, which actually was an answer to prayer, but it looked like everything was going to to heck in a handbasket in my life. Like It it felt like that. It, It was absolutely terrible for me. And then God reaches out of that and brings me back to him. And my my mom's prayers were answered. And man, I got to have a full and complete relationship with Jesus because out of that, then I got to see what it meant to actually make him number one in my life because my mom kept praying for me. I'm here today because my mom did not stop praying. She knew she couldn't fix me. She knew she couldn't make it better. She knew she didn't have the right answers. She just knew the one who did. And so she would not stop praying until she saw me come back to Jesus. One of my favorite parts of that, though, is the fact that I've asked her, then why did you pray for me? 
Like, why, why were you so passionate about that? And she told me, because my mom prayed for me. Because I was going through something, and my mom got on her knees and prayed. Now, she came back a little faster because my mom's, you know, much more holy than me. But her mom prayed for her. That's how generationally, that's just so amazing to me that that continues on through generations. And someday if my son's ever going through something, I'm going to know that I can't fix it myself and I'm going to pray for him and I'm going to keep pointing him to Jesus. And so can I just encourage you today? I, I know that there's all different phases of parenting and all different feelings and things that are going on right now. I don't know where your kids are at. They might be young, they might be big. But wherever they are, can I just encourage you not to stop praying for them? Man, can I just encourage you not to give up on him? Keep bringing him back to Jesus, laying him at his feet. Can I just encourage you just to, to keep pointing them back to the one that can actually change their life? Can I also tell you this? Maybe you're someone out there today who, as we talk about prayer, you feel kind of alone in that. Man, we have a prayer team that's going to be up here in a little bit. We'd love to agree with you in prayer. Let, let us know uh, at guest services. We'd love to get, get you on our prayer list with our prayer team throughout the week. We'd love to do that. Maybe you're someone out here today that you say, man, when it comes to being ex an example, I just don't feel like I'm a very good example. Can I just encourage you that there is a bunch of really great people in life groups all over this church that are maybe in life stages that are similar to yours? Man, maybe it's time to get around some other men of God and women of God who are trying to parent and trying to seek Jesus with everything they've got. Maybe it's time to sit down with them and be in a life group with them. Maybe it's time to find someone in those life groups to disciple you and teach you what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Whatever it is, though, can I just encourage you, don't do it alone. We love you so much here, and we love getting to partner with you because the goal is this. Your kids matter. Because your kids are the next generation, and we want to raise up an army here at Celebrate that goes out and creates disciples. That's what we're passionate about. Not just sitting here and preaching a message, but actually having it go home with us and living it out among our kids and raising them up so that one day there's a whole generation of kids that are going out and seeking to create disciples and seeking to make Jesus' name famous. Let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful for you. On this wonderful gift of Mother's Day, God, we just say thank you for the gift of our moms because they remind us of the love that you've shown out for us. God, I pray that your love is felt here today. God, that if there's anyone in this place that's hurting right now, maybe for a child, that you would remind them that they can keep coming to you and that you've got it under control. God, I pray for anyone in this place who might feel convicted. Man, maybe I haven't been the best example. Maybe I'm not focusing on what's really important. God, I pray that there wouldn't be anything of guilt, but that there would be conviction, which would lead to action, that people would go forward and look more and more like you, God. That's our goal, is not just to leave this place the same, but that we would actually look a little bit more like you, God, that we would actually start to speak like you and talk like you and love like you in our families and that our kids would want to be like you because they've seen it in us. God, we are so grateful for you and everything you're going to do. God, thank you for how you're working in us. And we just continue to praise your name. And all God's people said. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, 
consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.